Good afternoon and welcome to the Snake River Lib podcast. The um, 2022 election is nearly over. Of course, we don't have all the results yet, but we do can make some uh, discussion regarding that. Thank you so much for listening, by the way, and welcome. First of all, uh, there will be a runoff in Georgia, which was expected regardless of who actually ended up with the majority of the votes. The the uh, slick-talking slumlord Section 8 evicting uh, Raphael Warnock or the or Herschel Walker. The rest of the night, um, last night and ongoing, uh, we're still sitting in a, a quagmire. And you have to wonder why. We were very wrong here. Outside of Florida, which, by the way, Florida, if the GOP can take anything from last night, it would be that Florida and Ron DeSantis are forces to be reckoned with. Florida should not probably be any more considered a battleground state, though it probably will be and likely will have some issues in the future. But for now, when the Republican wins, even traditionally Democrat Miami-Dade County, then you know that you've had a, a sea change, an ocean change of, of uh, electorate. The rest of the country, what did we learn? In Kansas, I'll tell you what we learned. One, people don't understand constitutional amendments. Why is it, and this is, yeah, there's perhaps a little bit of anger you're going to notice. Why is it that people think bureaucrats, unelected and unaccountable bureaucrats, should not have a check by the legislature? Because that's what Amendment was, Amendment One was for uh, for the state of Kansas. I don't know if they've officially called the uh, governor's race or not, but Amanda Atkins, the uh, candidate for my district, the third district, lost. And regardless of whether uh, Joan Finney, I mean Laura Kelly, wins or not uh, a re-election as governor of the Democrat. Here's one thing that's certain. Republicans in Topeka, when they redrew the districts, they had no clue what they were doing regarding the 3rd District. And regardless of what kind of a person or character Sam Brownback was, he's toxic in the state of Kansas, and nobody that was associated with his campaign or his governorship is going to be able to get reelected in places such as Johnson County, Kansas, Wyandotte County, even the rest, even the rest of it. Sedgwick, down in Wichita. Not that's more for the governor, not for Amanda Atkins. 
It was a very effective campaign run against Sam Brownback. And Amanda Atkins lost, and it's quite possible that Derek Schmidt is going to lose as well as the governor. Across the nation, what was very interesting was that you had, outside of Florida, you had governors such as Chris Sununu in New Hampshire and Brian Kemp in Georgia win their elections very handily. And yet the Republicans running in Senate offices as well as certain congressional districts fared poorly or perhaps they eked out a win. I don't understand with the what's going on in the nation, why anybody would have split a ticket. But again, that's your vote, not mine. I don't get it. What else can we talk about? I did have a story, um, a report out of Israel in regards to uh, myocarditis associated with the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. A pretty, uh, pretty exhaustive study in Israel points to the fact that the unvaccinated who got COVID were less likely, even if you had the severe uh, strain of COVID, were less likely to contract myocarditis or other uh, uh, heart issues than somebody who had the vaccine, regardless of whether or not that individual contracted COVID. Compared to the control group, people that got COVID but were unvaccinated were no more likely to suffer from these diseases. Whereas, however, those who had the shot are at significantly increased risk of myocarditis. You have to wonder about the testing of these products, especially with everything that's come to light indicating that we were sold um, lies regarding these vaccines. Mandates were put into place where the manufacturer knew that what the government was saying about the vaccines was untrue. But they didn't speak up, of course. It interests me that John Fetterman, who struggles cognitively after his stroke, and was a disaster in the one debate, 
beat the Republican Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. As far as the House goes, Florida added four Republican seats to the House. Florida single-handedly nearly gave the Republicans the majority in the House. Now add to that the fact that uh, in the state of New York, of all places, a few districts changed to Republican. And many people are going to credit Lee Zeldin, who, though he was unsuccessful in his run for governor of New York, came within six percentage points, which for a Republican in bright blue New York is astounding. And it was likely because of the effort that Zeldin put forward that these Republicans won. Sean Patrick Mahoney, the the Democratic Party Congressional Fundraising Chair, lost his seat last night to a Republican in New York. So while... Many things are gray when it comes, you know, gray skies when it comes to the red wave that wasn't. There is some hope. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. Welcome back. President Trump, of course, Monday night teased that next week there was going to be a big announcement about his future plans. Of course, those plans likely, likely will be to that he's going to run for president in 2024. Of course, President Trump is already blaming the people that he advanced but didn't support financially until it was too late. He's going to blame them for their own losses. And that's where we are arriving now. By the way, aren't you glad that season's over with the exception of the Georgia run-up, runoff uh, next month? Oh, but there is one more thing. Welcome to the 2024 election season starts today. Will Biden, President Biden, run again? He wants to. After what happened yesterday, it's quite possible his party's not going to be able to stop him. Which brings us to what happens in this lame duck session. 
there are many bills that have been passed by the House that have been squashed by filibuster by the Republicans. but relied on Senator Manchin or of West Virginia or Senator Sinema of Arizona to keep the filibuster in play. We have a railroad strike potentially coming next week. Crippled supply chain as if it's not hurting already. We also have a desperate uh, shortage of diesel fuel, which is going to cause problems here in the next few weeks as we gear up for the Christmas season and moving everything around for that. We also have a government going to run out of money in December. And so... The Democrats, no doubt, will take from this election that they're fear-mongering over the loss of democracy. Which, by the way, democracy, meaning the rule of the mob, truly was on display yesterday, where people put those fears above anything else. But what will a Senator Manchin, who's up in 2024, or Senator Sinema, who is also up in 2024, what will they do? Senator Manchin has already expressed some displeasure with the president over his promise to shut down coal mines coal-fired power plants, and no more drilling. This is one thing that could have a, actually have an impact on Senator Manchin in West Virginia because he sold his soul and then they reneged on the deal. Will something like that be enough for Senator Manchin to maintain his position on the filibuster regarding, say, abortion rights? Remember, that, that, that bill has been passed by the House, and as long as the Senate brings it up for a vote, perhaps it can still become law. I mean, if they go to recess over Christmas and the new Congress starts, they have to start over, and so that won't become a law. But right now it's hanging there. The Voter Protection Act, or whatever it's called, the Screw the States Over Act, is what it should be called, is still hanging there. Is a Senator Manchin or a Senator Cinema willing to go along to end the filibuster? It looks like right now 
it's going to be a 50-50 Senate. It's not a done deal yet, but it looks like, or rather, it could be a 50-49 with the Georgia runoff, being that that's currently a Democrat seat. And, and if Herschel Walker were to win in Georgia, that would be give Republicans the outright majority in the new Congress. Do Democrats really want to ditch the filibuster right before going into being the minority? The Lib has always taken the position on the filibuster, even though I've wavered slightly at times. Ultimately, the filibuster is a good thing. However, it should be a real filibuster and not just a, a procedural move. Somebody should have to get up and stand and talk. And they should have to hold the floor, just like in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. That's what should happen. Will the filibuster go away? Do they really want the filibuster to go away with that Georgia runoff outstanding? Or say that the Republicans win it 51. My guess is that that may secure the filibuster. I don't think that I don't think that the uh, if Georgia goes Republican and everything else like it's anticipated right now where you have a 51-49 Senate for the Republicans. I don't see the Democrats ditching the filibuster to try to get these very questionable bills passed. But you don't know. Right now, they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling pretty good about everything, the Democrats, and they should, by the way. Which brings us how I'm going to wrap it up here. You know, Ezra Taft Benson, uh, who a, was a president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a very staunch anti-communist, very libertarian thinker. He was the uh, Secretary of Agriculture in the Eisenhower administration. And what did he do? He worked to end any kind of subsidies for farmers. Ezra Taft Benson once said that that uh, the Constitution of the United States would not be saved in Washington, but it would be saved locally. And sometimes in all this hoopla, all this uh, fervor regarding elections, we we focus too much on what's happening in Washington D.C and not enough on what's happening in your local area. The school boards, city councils, state legislatures. What are they doing to protect the Constitution? What are they doing to resist 
a Leviathan, Leviathan federal government from usurping your rights and my rights. There are many ways to work that resistance and to become involved locally. You know, we all these issues that were important, crime, crime is a local issue, not really a national issue, although nationally we're seeing it because things have, uh, for example, district attorney elections have been nationalized by people who want to let everybody out of prisons. But crime is local, and crime can be dealt with locally. Don't like what your school is being teaching, is teaching? Get on the school board. Work to change the curriculum within the confines that the state allows you. Perhaps work, and I think school districts, especially more conservative areas and such, that are going to want to resist some of the changes that Washington, D.C. is going to want to put on them, they're going to have to decide how much that Washington, D.C. money is worth to them. Is it worth compromising everything that you hold dear for those dollars? The same with the state. You know, we, we, we talk about, everybody understands that the government spends too much money. Everybody's pretty much in, well, Republicans, independents, I should say, pretty much in agreement that the government spends too much money. And it's that spending that's causing inflation, that and, and the current president's oil policies. But that's where it becomes very, very tricky. Because while everybody talks a good game about needing to reduce spending, when the axe comes to the tree, nobody wants the tree cut down. Oh no, we need that spending. We can't cut that spending. What will our schools do? Well, they'll adapt. You know, when I went to grade school, we had well over 25, 30 kids in each classroom. And considering that education has just kind of dumbed down since then, I would say having, you know, the ideal of having 10 kids per classroom is not necessarily effective. But where do you cut the spending? Do you means test Social Security? Say, oh, well, 
you know, you earn this much in your retirement because your 401k, because you worked hard and you planned and, or maybe you had a company that had a good uh, actual retirement system. A pension. And so, oh, no, you don't need Social Security. Is that fair? What about if we just put adjusted Social Security for age? You know, when Social Security was first designed, you know, 65, guess what? The average lifespan of an American when Social Security was first uh, rolled out was 64. To translate that in today's term, you wouldn't be eligible to Social Security until you were 80. Based on the original design of Social Security. Should Social Security be on the chopping block? What about Medicare? What about food stamps? What about crop subsidies? What about oil subsidies? By the way, get rid of all the subsidies. Don't pay farmers to not farm. Don't pay somebody to use some fancy new technology. Let them write off their expenses on their taxes, but don't don't make it so that you can say, oh, wind and solar are as cheap as gas. They're not without the government subsidy. And when you consider what's involved in getting the materials for wind and solar, they can't compete with natural gas anyway, period, as far as carbon emissions. Anyway, hopefully we'll all be feeling better tomorrow. I'm not sure when we're going to find out anything about some of these other uh, races that are still outstanding. But work on things the best you can. Get involved locally. Be an agent of change. Don't let life just happen to you. Live it. Because if if you don't live it, if you just exist then it's easy for the government to conclude your life does not matter. My life matters, and so does yours. I'm the Snake River Lib. Have a great day.